The first reading today is from James chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less of a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. 
But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may, all, may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the ninth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The disciples went on from there and passed through Galilee. And Jesus did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning's message as we continue our Our sermon discipleship series talking about being on God's winning team is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 as we continue to look at 1 Corinthians 3 verses 1 through 9. But today we focus specifically on verses 3 through 8 where St. Paul writes, For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh and behaving only in human way. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. This is our text. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We are teammates on God's winning team. When our beaten and wounded teammate shouted from the cross, it is finished, He declared victory. Jesus, in his role as our Savior, had fulfilled all that was necessary for our salvation. 
as the writer to the Hebrews says. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Yes, indeed. God's Son, our Savior, crushed the head of Satan just as it had been promised to Adam and Eve in the garden. Our teammate, Jesus Christ, not only crushed the devil, but he also defeated our arch nemesis, death. St. Paul writes, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are to be pitied more than all people. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, and then it is coming those who belong to Christ. We live in the reality, the daily reality, that we are teammates on God's winning team. We are victorious over the devil, the world, our flesh, and death itself through Jesus Christ, who's the superstar teammate that we have on our team. Following a championship-winning game, we'll occasionally hear a victorious athlete say something like this, I give all the glory and honor to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for this victory. And indeed, that is most certainly true when spoken by us. I mean, we have nothing to do with the victory Christ accomplished for us on the cross and with his resurrection from the dead. The fact that we are saved from our enemies is all of our Savior's doing. And so we give Jesus all the honor and glory that is due his name for that victory. And that's certainly the hymn of the church triumphant that's pictured for us in the book of Revelation, the fifth chapter, where we hear the saints of heaven singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And so, the question is, if our victory over the devil and death is complete in Christ, what remains for us to do as teammates of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, what remains for us to do is to proclaim far and wide his conquest so that other people might become teammates, our teammates, and share and bask in his victory. What remains for us to do is for us to be discipled, to mature in our faith. And as we grow and mature in our faith and our ability to share God's word with others, that then we go out and share that word with others so that we might disciple other people so they too might experience the forgiving love of God in Christ Jesus. 
with these goals in mind, our Lord forms a team. At one time, that team was a team of 12. Then it became a team of 120. And then the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus' followers on the day of Pentecost, and he emboldened the disciples to get off the bench, so to speak, and to get back into the game. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, these teammates of Jesus Christ witnessed of him. And on the day of Pentecost, more than 3,000 people were drafted onto God's winning team. And since then, our Lord's team continues to grow. Our Lord's team is a global team with millions of local teams, with St. James being one of those local teams. Our Lord's team consists of people with diverse talents, and each of us has a crucial role to play on that team. But like many competitive teams, problems arise. I mean, just think of how many times the downfall of a talented team has been internal envy and discord. And that is certainly the case in Paul's day. Internal jealousy and strife are dividing the team in Corinth. Some of the team says that they follow Paul. Others say they follow Apollos. And St. Paul scolds them. He scolds his teammates for their jealousy and strife. Although he didn't quote it, St. Paul knew this basic truth, that a boat doesn't go forward if each one is rowing their own way, or if they're not rowing at all. St. Paul reminds his teammates that although he and Apollos have different roles on the team, for Paul plants and Apollos waters, they're working together towards the same goal, recognizing that any success that they have belongs to God and God alone. And that's why St. Paul says twice in our short text that God gives the growth. Every team has its star players. St. Paul and Apollos might be designated as the franchise players in Corinth. They're extraordinarily gifted. They possess leadership skills and a charisma that just causes and brings people to, to admire them and are attracted to them and to follow them. And for these reasons and others, they're prominent members on the team in Corinth. But as talented as these two may be, they need the participation and the contributions of the fellow teammates if they're going to baptize and teach the word of God to the pagans in Corinth. I mean, there are any number of cliches about the importance of teamwork for the team to be successful. For example, it is said teamwork divides the task and multiplies the success. There's an African proverb that states, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. It's very rare that a superstar can carry a team to a championship. I think of the Edmonton Oilers, an NHL hockey team, as one of the prime examples of such a case. The Edmonton Oilers have two superstars, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisettle. 
But as gifted as these two players are, the Edmonton Oilers have failed to win a championship. In fact, they have struggled to really win anything of any significance because they need more than two superstars on their team. They need a more skilled, supporting cast. And as gifted as St. Paul and Apollos are, they needed teammates like Chloe and Crispus and Gaius and Stephanus, who we read about in the letter to the Corinthians. We need them and their families, their households, and many other nameless Christians in Corinth to play their role on the team at a high level so that the team can win, so that many more people might become disciples of Jesus Christ. Pat Riley, a 10-time NBA champion, as a player, coach, and executive, says, and I quote, the key to teamwork is to learn a role and to accept the role and to strive to become excellent in that role. Each of us has a role or roles. Each of us has a position or positions to play on God's team. Some of us are more prominent than others, but we all possess gifts and talents and personalities and interests and skills that we bring to the team. That's what St. Paul was talking about in our epistle lesson for this morning. Hear these words from 1 Corinthians 12, where St. Paul says to his team in Corinth, he says, now there are a variety of gifts on this team, but we all have the same spirit. There's a variety of service but we all have the same Lord. There's a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in every person. To each member of the team is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the, the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, teammate, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, teammate, the working of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. And to another, the various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And all of these are empowered by the one and same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This was not just an issue in Corinth, but it was also an issue in other churches to whom Paul writes. And so to the team in Rome, Paul writes similarly. He says, for as in one body, in one team, we have many members. And the members do not all have the same function. And so we, though many, are one body, one team in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And so let us use them. If your gift is prophecy, then in proportion to your faith. If it's service, then in our serving. If it's in teaching, then teach. If it's one that is in exhortation, then exhort. If it's one who contributes, then do so in generosity. And if it's one who leads, then do so with zeal. And if it's one who does acts of mercy, then do it with cheerfulness. We all have a crucial position or positions or roles to play on God's winning team. Yesterday, as I was writing this message, I was also watching a soccer match. 
and one of the players foolishly committed two penalties, which meant that he was sent off the pitch for the remainder of the game. He, was, he put his team in a terrible predicament, for they had to play the remainder of the game down a man. And one less player in the field meant that they were put under constant pressure from the opposition. Each player that was still playing was asked to do more, to give more. And the extra demand on each player meant that they began to wilt under the pressure. And they began to make mistakes that they might not have made. And they were unable to go on the offense. For all they really had energy for was to defend to hold on for dear life. The same is true in hockey, isn't it? When a player is sent off for committing a penalty, it places pressure on that team. When they go five on four or five on three, and that's often when goals are scored. And even when a goal isn't scored, that's when the team really expends a lot of energy because three or four players are trying to do the work of five. When our teammates on God's team choose to sit on the sidelines or to find themselves in the penalty box, so to speak, they put a lot of undue pressure on their teammates. In fact, they weaken the team. For it's all that the team can do to fend off the opposition. Little thought or strategic planning is given to going on the offensive. From a human perspective, it certainly seems like God's undermanned team struggles to accomplish what God sends his team to do, to win, to make more disciples for Jesus Christ. So what's your position? What's your role on God's team at St. James? You might ask, well, how do I know, or how do we know what our role or position is on the team at St. James? Admittedly, for me, my role on the team is quite clear. I'm the called pastor of St. James Lutheran Church. I'm the servant of Christ whose role is to preach and teach God's word for the purpose of bringing God's gifts of grace and forgiveness to you. My role is to equip you through that word, my fellow teammates, so that you are more effective as teammates on God's team, as you go and make disciples. I have the privilege of administering the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, with one outcome being that your faith is strengthened so that you have the strength to play the game God sends you to play. But you still may be asking yourself, but what is my position? What are my role? What is my role on God's team? Or what might my role on God's team be? Well, as you consider this question, it may be helpful to ask yourself, what has God gifted you to do? What are your talents? What are your interests? What are your hobbies? What are you passionate about? What gives you joy in life? And then how can you use those to serve God and serve one another and more importantly, go out into the world and make disciples of those who are not currently following Jesus 
as their savior. It might even be helpful to ask somebody from the congregation the answer to those questions to say, as you think about me, what do you think are the gifts and talents I bring to this church and to the task of making disciples? You know, sometimes we find our position on God's team by trying new roles, by taking on new positions, by testing uncharted waters. Maybe you're a little bit like David Winfield. Dave Winfield is a Hall of Fame Major League Baseball player who played in the major leagues in the 1970s and 80s and 90s. His career includes over 3,000 hits, more than 1,800 RBIs, 465 home runs, and yes, a World Series championship with the Toronto Blue Jays in 1992 when he got the winning hit. And yes, I had to mention that because I am a Blue Jays fan. But his role for whatever team he played on was at that of a dominant hitter. But did you know that Winfield was drafted out of college as a pitcher? He was supposed to be a pitcher. But his coaches saw something in him and they discovered that his, that his future in baseball was not pitching, but it was hitting and playing left field. Imagine what his career might have been like or not been like had he only tried to play the role of pitcher. Whatever our roles or positions may be on God's winning team, we accept them. And not only do we accept them, but we strive to be excellent in these roles. We owe it to the Lord. We owe it to our teammates. And it's this excellence, this striving for excellence, that will be the focus of next week's message. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.